0: Morning, church. How's it going? (laughs) Oh, it's great to be with you again. Uh, My name is Austin, if we haven't had the privilege of meeting, but uh, I help lead one of our college ministries, Salt Company, Minneapolis. So, it's sweet to be with you this morning. What a lovely winter morning, isn't it, in Minnesota? Wow, I saw somebody rollerblading yesterday. (laughs) Goodness sakes, we're supposed to be ice skating at this point, but anyway... Happy to be here. We're going through the book of John, and it's been a delight. And this morning, we see uh, some people asking Jesus a very critical question, a simple question with massive implications. I think all of us have a couple of questions that we may have asked throughout our lives that are quite simple, but they have massive implications. Here are a couple that I was thinking of that you might be familiar with. Will you go out with me? Simple question, big implication, right? Maybe even another step further, will you marry me, right? Big question, simple, huge implication. Wait, when did this expire? Simple question, huge implications, right? How much is this going to cost? Simple question, huge implication. The same we are going to see in the conversation between some Jewish people and Jesus, Because up to this point, John, through his biography of Jesus, he's been making note of how Jesus has been talking in figures of speech. He's been talking in a a particular figure of speech regarding sheep and being a good shepherd, right? He's the good shepherd. He cares for his people. He's got sheep, the people that believe him. he's also the door, the only way to get to God. So he's talking in this figure of speech, and it's leaving some people incredibly confused, But it's also kind of lifting the veil on who Jesus really is. But it's to the point where people are are coming up to him and just like, dude, you need to give it to us straight. And so they ask him a simple question. This is verse 22. Let's look at it again. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. They're asking Jesus, Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Who are you? They're on the edge of their seats And asking him to just say it. Just say it. I am the Messiah. Wouldn't that make things way easier, right? Instead of speaking in these figures of speech. And I think, honestly, some of us read the Bible and we're like, Jesus, just, dude, just come out with it. Just say, I'm the Messiah. Wouldn't that clear the air on so many things and make it a lot easier? But what we see is that Jesus, in his wisdom, chooses to respond slightly different than we might think he should. He answers, but it's going to ruffle a couple of feathers. And through the rest of this conversation, we're going to see that Jesus' words and his works show us exactly who he is. His words and his works show us exactly who Jesus is, and it starts by Jesus talking about his integrity. The integrity of Jesus. You see, because the Jews asked, hey, if you're the Christ, just tell us plainly. And look at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you. What has he been telling them? He's saying, I told you. Up until this point through the book of John, this is what Jesus has told the people that have been asking questions like this since the beginning. He said, I am the one who came from heaven. He said, whoever believes in me has eternal life. He said, I am the son of God. He said, I will judge all of humanity. He said, all should honor me as they honor God the Father. He said, I perfectly reveal God the Father. He said, I perfectly please God the Father. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the door. He said, I will lay my life down For the sheep, he said, I will rise from the dead. They're asking Jesus, are you the Messiah? I told you. Okay, but then he goes a step further. He adds a second line of reason. Look again at the rest of verse 25. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Okay, up until this point, what are the works that Jesus has done so far? Jesus turned water into wine, Jesus healed a royal official's son, Jesus healed a paralyzed man by the pool, Jesus fed thousands upon thousands with a small basket of bread and fish, Jesus walked on water, and Jesus gave sight to a blind man. They're asking Jesus, are you the Messiah? He said, I've shown you. Jesus told them and he showed them. But they're still wondering, who are you? I think the way that Jesus responds is so interesting because what it does is it displays That Jesus has perfect integrity. Meaning that there is absolutely no disconnect between what he says and between what he does. He's totally one. He knows exactly who he is so that there is no misstep between what he claims and what he does. Whatever he says with his mouth, the deeds of his hands make the same statement. Without his works, perhaps his claims would not be powerful enough. And without his words, his miracles would perhaps be too mysterious. But in the life of Jesus, we see that power and clarity are both on display. His words and his works totally line up. Who else is like this? Who else has no disconnect between what they say and what they do. Not me. I don't think it's a stretch to say that one of the most hated things in our day is inconsistency, whether that be in the form of hypocrisy or contradiction. One of the most disgusting things that absolutely nobody has any tolerance for. It is, it is the thing That is used as ammunition against people, against organizations worldwide. Hypocrisy and contradiction. Everybody hates this. It's disgusting to each of us, no matter what position we hold. Which, if you think about it, is a little bit ironic because on a personal level, on an individual level, each of us... Suffer from this exact same diagnosis, inconsistency. No person is perfect in their integrity, following through with everything that they say. And it might not be just the big things, it might even just be the small things. What time we're gonna wake up the next morning, how hard we're gonna work when we don't have to go into the office. How often we say we'll spend time with God. How we recommit to him and say I'm going to do it this time. But how often we actually do that. What we believe the Bible says to be true about loving people and that all people are made in the image of God. Worthy of honor, dignity, and respect. But then when somebody disagrees with you, that's totally out the window. We make commitments we don't keep. We don't follow through with dreams and plans. We change our minds all the time and we do things that we once said that we wouldn't do. Who else is like Jesus in perfect integrity? Nobody. You know, and you can probably do a decent job of hiding inconsistency from your friends, your family, even your spouse. But what we know is is that while they all look on the surface, God sees to the heart. You know, it was once said that the great Michelangelo who painted the frescoes on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, it said that he would lie on his back hours upon end and stare at the top, stare at at his artistry. And a friend came by one time and asked him, why do you take so much time Who is going to notice the inconsistencies? Who is going to notice the imperfections at such a great distance away? Because, you know, the ceilings were very tall. Who's going to notice? And Michelangelo, the artist, replied, I will. Guys, the great artist of your life knows your inconsistencies, he sees them, even if nobody else does. He knows each of our sin. He knows each of the ways that we've fallen short. He knows the ways that we don't measure up. It's a global diagnosis. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that we are inconsistent, but Jesus is consistent? Jesus has perfect integrity. What do we do with that? Well, we can just obsess over how awesome Jesus is, plain and simple, Be amazed at the fact that everything he says, he backs it up with how he works. Jesus is neither contradictory nor hypocritical. He always follows through with what he says he will do, and he never does anything that he instructs against. That's amazing. Jesus is the only one with perfect integrity. How? How does he do it? Well, it's because of who he is at his core. His essence is different than ours. And we'll see this in how he unpacks it through the conversation. He says it over and over. He shows it over and over. He is amazing. And his invitation to us this morning is to hear his words, to see his works, and to stand amazed. So the first way that Jesus replies to the question of his Messiahship is by showing his perfect integrity through his words and his works. Secondly, he's going to show us his security, the security of Jesus. Let's look at verse 26 to see Jesus continue to lift the veil of his identity. It says, But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Notice here how Jesus is linking himself to the Father. Did you catch this? It says in verse 29, Jesus says that God the Father gave him the sheep, gave him the people that belong to him. They will not be snatched out of the Father's hand. But in verse 28, Jesus says that no one will snatch the sheep out of his own hand. So whose hand are they in? Who owns the sheep? Is it God the Father, or is it Jesus? Whose hand are they in? This is exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make. Him and the Father, they're one. This is who Jesus is. Beyond clarifying just the identity of Jesus, see how it shows the security of the sheep. I think this is so cool. Verse 27 says this, My sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. These are amazing words, amazing words for the sheep, because it says, if you're a sheep, You get eternal life. If you're a sheep, you will not perish. If you're a sheep, you won't get snatched. If you're a sheep, you belong to God. If you're a sheep, you are known by Jesus. So the necessary question is simple Who are the sheep? Who are the ones held by God? Am I? Are you? The evidence is pretty clear in terms of who is the sheep. Jesus tells us in verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So the evidence that you're a sheep is if you hear his voice and you follow him. To you, the promises of security apply. Are you listening for his voice? Are you following him? There is peace in being a sheep. Because if you're a sheep, you're known by God and you're safe in him forever. No one will snatch you from the hand of God. I have a sort of core memory with my mom. And uh, it's from fifth grade football practice. Okay? I was at fifth grade football practice at a park in Burnsville and my mom had dropped me off and I didn't realize, but she had actually stayed at the park and she was gonna walk our dog. Okay, so she starts walking our dog Cody and he was a schnoodle, schnauzer and poodle mix, real cute, had the beard, you know. And so she's walking the dog and I'm doing football practice, and all of a sudden, all of us on the team we hear a scream and some barking. And we all kind of like whip over and see the scream and the barking. And it turns out, at this point, I realize, oh, my mom must have stayed. She must have been walking the dog. I see my mom. I see a small dog, Cody. And I see a big dog. Big dog came out of nowhere. Turns out, I would later find out that this massive dog, angry, big teeth, huge, wanted to uh, eat Cody the small dog, okay? So he had ran. He was on no leash, classic, in a park with no leash, big crazy dog, and he was trying to attack Cody. And so I see my mom do one of the craziest maneuvers ever. She has Cody on a leash, and she does her greatest Olympic hammer throw impression, and she is literally spinning <laughs> Cody, and his feet are now off the ground. is literally being swung all the way around successfully evading the teeth of the small dog. Absolutely insane. Fifth grade football practice. Traumatic for moms, dogs, and fifth graders. And my mom is an absolute legend for keeping Cody safe. He was not a tough dog. I think he would have been toast on his own, but she kept him safe. For Cody, going on a walk with my mom meant that he was safe. For you, Walking with Jesus, following him, means you are safe, eternally, forever. No matter what came at my mom, she was not going to let Cody be snatched. No matter what comes your way, God will not let you be snatched. This is fantastic news for people that are so dependent on a shepherd. We would be toast on our own. But we have a good God that holds us with care. Nothing will ever separate us from him. Nothing. We can rest in that this morning. In this instance, the people that were listening, Jesus even told them straight to their face, you don't believe because you are not my sheep. But they heard him loud and clear. They heard everything that he was saying, loud and clear. But instead of following his voice, they sought to take his life. Verse 30 says this, I and the Father are one. And then the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. The Jews, listening to all the statements that Jesus had made and seen his works, they knew full well that Jesus was claiming to be God. And so they acted in a very reasonable way, given that this is what he's claiming, They didn't believe him. And so blasphemy, claiming to be God, when you're not, it deserves death. And so the Jews picked up stones. But Jesus knows that this isn't how he's supposed to die. This isn't his time yet. And so he comes up with a plan, a pretty epic maneuver. It's a a maneuver by, by argument, by debate, if you will. But what he's doing is he's delaying the stoning. He's buying some time. And what we'll see is that it provides another opportunity for him to invite them to follow him. We'll see here the patience of Jesus. Let's see what Jesus replies here. He says in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is, not, is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, you believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Okay, what was Jesus doing in presenting this argument? In a calculated way, he presented a defense of his claims using scriptures that the Jews would have been very familiar with. He's quoting Psalm chapter 82. And this psalm refers to earthly judges as gods, humans as lower G gods. It references them as gods because they were judges and they were deciding the fates of man. Okay, it was a metaphor for their authority in that position. And his argument to the Jews was, if they, fallible people, fallible judges, can be called gods in scripture, then am I out of line for calling myself the son of God. Modern scholars see this argument to be kind of inconclusive, not a huge deal. It it makes a point, but not a fantastic one. But here's what we see, is that the point of this argument, the point of him presenting this defense was not to win the argument, but to win more time with these people in front of him. It was a deflection, a deflection so that the violent crescendo would come to a halt and it would give Jesus another opportunity to invite them into faith. He didn't hurry to leave the Jews in their unbelief, but he was patient with them. He extended another invitation. This is what verse 37 says. If I am not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me but if i do them even though you do not believe me believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and i am in the father jesus before his killers is saying hey if you're getting hung up on my work my words then see the works see what i've done that you would believe them since you can't quite Grasp my words. Look at what I have done and see how they display the heart of God. This is mercy. Even with stones in their hands, Jesus was not in a hurry to leave. He knew that despite their desire to kill him, they weren't too far gone. With stones in their hands, Jesus believed that these these Jews were not too far gone. So he presented another opportunity for them to turn and believe. Why else would he have said, if you don't believe my words, then see my works? He's inviting them once again to see him for who he really is. Even just before they're about to throw stones at him. How much... Compassion do you need to have for somebody to look someone who is trying to kill you in the eye and hold out for the chance that they might have a change of heart? How much compassion do you need to have for them? How much love do you need to have to look somebody in the eye knowing that they hate you and invite them to follow you? Who else is like this Jesus? Nobody. He's being utterly vulnerable here. And friends, we know that he did this more than once, didn't he? Standing in front of people that wanted to kill him. But he looked at them with compassion there was in one occasion he was so vulnerable to the point where he did not flee from death. Jesus would choose to lay his life down just like he said he would. And so on the cross, Jesus would once again be put in front of people who wanted to kill him. Wanted him to die and he would look on them with compassion. On the cross, Jesus would once again be put in front of his opposition But he would say to his Father in heaven, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What kind of compassion does Jesus have for sinners? He desires that all, even his killers, would turn and believe him. Friends, no matter how you came in this morning, Jesus is extending a similar invitation to you. You are not too far gone. Jesus looks at you with compassion, extending another invitation to follow him. And what we know is that after Jesus was killed on the cross, three days later, Jesus showed his perfect integrity because what he claimed was, I have the authority to take my life up again. And he didn't. Jesus raised from the grave three days after he was killed, just like he said he would, perfect integrity. And in so doing, he secured the eternal safety of all his sheep. Who is this Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior of the world? Is he the Son of God? That's the question that we all need to answer this morning. The question of Christianity is not, did I follow all the right rules? The question of Christianity is not, did I impress them enough? The question of Christianity is, who is Jesus? Is he the savior of the world? Is he the one that came to save me? It's a simple question, but it has massive implication. We've seen in the life of Jesus that he has told us who he is, and he has shown us who he is, and now he is inviting us to follow him into eternal life. What will we do with that offer? Let's pray together. Father thank you for this passage I'm thinking about just the ordinary person coming in here thinking if if they're safe if what they've done has somehow lost them what they once had with God Thank you for this passage and the encouragement that nothing will snatch us from your hand, God. That if we are in you, we are eternally safe because of what you've done, Jesus. Thank you for your character. Thank you for being completely consistent that we can trust what you say. You've proved it time and time again that you always follow through. And so we believe your words once again this morning. We believe that what is in this text is true because over and over again, Father, you have proved that you always follow through. And so we just praise you for that this morning, God. We thank you for inviting us into your eternal life. Thank you for the life of Jesus. Thank you for his words. Thank you for his works. And thank you that they all go together, Lord. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We delight in you, and we just want your name to be praised this morning, be made much of in our hearts as we sing. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.